0: Today is the last Sunday of this series. Now I'm telling you, if you came uh, to hear something from the Lord today, I think you came to the right place. You might have missed it by a few hours because Kent nailed it this morning. Okay, But I'm telling you that right here, right now, this God that we're talking about, this God that just spoke a direct word to you, He longs for your worship. And we got to spend time, we got to spend time this morning praising and worshiping Him. That's not a burden. It's an opportunity. Now, I'm telling you that if you get serious about this stuff that we're talking about, you're not going to live your life the same way. Okay? We're going to be uh, in Acts chapter, chapter 9, if I remember right. But Kent, uh, he brought a word this morning. Very similar. It seems like all we've been talking about all morning long Is that this Jesus who came, we've already talked about this, this Jesus who came, the one who paid it all, the one who did everything for us, and all we have to do is walk in his goodness and in his grace. This guy who came is coming back. And he's coming back for a bride, just like Jojo was talking about. He's not coming back for a bride with curlers in her hair, okay? He's coming back for for a bride who's spotless, and a bride who is longing for him you know what guy wants to stand up here waiting for a girl to walk down the aisle who doesn't even really love him that much you know that's almost an insult he wants a church who is ready and is and is open to him the that first song we sung it said that lord we're waiting on you you know we think about waiting waiting is not a pause it's a preparation you know we we're not waiting on the Lord by just standing here and doing nothing, but we're waiting on the Lord by preparing for His appearance. And until we kind of get into this mindset that we're talking about today, we got to get kingdom-minded. we got to start thinking about the kingdom more than we're thinking about the things we need here on this earth. Come on now. we got to get our, our mind dialed in. And uh, I, wanna, I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to think about this question. And I don't... Don't say your answer out loud. Don't raise your hand. Don't anything. And don't give yourself a church answer, okay? You know, you ask a question in children's church and the safe answer is always Jesus, okay? I don't want you to give me a church answer. I want you to give yourself an honest answer. Is somebody who has uh, maybe killed or done bad things to Christians... Worthy to be in heaven. Worthy to be in the kingdom. You know, we're talking about ISIS. We're talking about the Hitlers of the world. We're talking about the people who who murdered Christians, right? And I want you to think about that answer in your head for a minute. Do they really deserve to be in the kingdom of heaven? And with that in mind, I want you to open to to Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to read out out of the NLT this morning. But this passage of Scripture says, "Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking, <clears throat> asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers in the way that is found there. Uh, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. He was approaching Damascus on this mission, and a light from heaven suddenly shone down on him." He fell on the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard a sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his uh, companions led him by hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not not eat or drink. Now uh, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go uh, to Straight Street to the house of uh, Judas. When you get there, ask a man uh, from Taurus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands uh, on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk terrible things about this man uh, that he has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take up my message to the Gentiles and to the kings and as for the people of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake so Ananias sent and found Saul he found or sorry he laid his hands on him and said brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the holy spirit Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he remained, uh, or he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. In case you, uh, you don't know, I mean, if you're like me, and that question that I asked at the beginning, my first answer is always no. You know, they're not. They shouldn't be in heaven with us, right? Come on, am I the only one? You know, we think that way, you know. He's he's not worthy. They shouldn't be able to be there. You know, they're not deserving of of the grace that Jesus gave. But I'm telling you, for those of you who don't know, this man named Saul that we're talking about, who was a very uh, clearly chosen instrument of Jesus Christ, this man. His name later became Paul, and he wrote most of the New Testament. And by our own standards, we couldn't even read half of the New Testament of the Bible because he killed Christians. We don't think that he deserves to be in heaven. And what I'm trying to get at here, I'm going to tell you two different sides of this story. You know, you got Paul, and you got Ananias, okay? And we're going to talk about Paul first. But I want you to think about this for a minute. Have you ever considered that sometimes maybe, maybe God's most chosen people are, are the ones who are the most out there? Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it seems like the most uh, impactful people in God's ministries are the ones who were, who were super far off. Now, re- regardless, God has a plan for everyone. If you're alive and breathing here today, God has a plan for you right? But what I'm saying is, is that sometimes the enemy has a way of working his way into people's lives. Sometimes at an earlier age than others. Sometimes in a more drastic way than others. And sometimes he leads us and in, in, in we allow him to leave a, lead us in paths that are contrary to the word of God. But if you notice by this story, Paul's actions didn't change God's calling on his life. God's calling for him was still the same, even though that he was doing the complete opposite of what he was supposed to be doing. He was supposed to be leading people to Jesus, and instead he was killing the people who were worshiping Jesus. But it didn't change God's calling for his life. And what I'm trying to get at here is that we've talked about knowing this God that we're talking about. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about empowerment. We've talked about all of these different things. But what I'm going to end up by the end of this telling you is that God has a very specific call for your life. And if you don't like my message today, you can blame Jim, Jim Coon because he got me all fired up last Wednesday talking about calling, okay? But this God who came to us is now our responsibility to go and get others, right? And we're going to get to this by the end, but I wanted to go ahead and, you know, have you chewing on that. And what I find interesting about this, uh, this little scenario, I'm going to call him Paul, because if I say Saul and Paul, I'm going to get real confused. Okay? So this Saul that we're talking about, his name got changed to Paul, and he ended up being an apostle and all this different stuff. But I find it very interesting uh, that, that God didn't kill Saul, or didn't kill Paul, I, I don't know, didn't kill him. Think about it. If we're talking about the Old Testament, what did they do to people who were killing God's people? They stoned them. They killed them. They uh, burned them at the stake. They did, I mean, all this different stuff. But for the first time, God didn't kill him. Why do you suppose that is? Maybe because uh, this is one of the earlier instances of whenever Jesus uh, went to be with the Father, and now he's pleading in between uh, the man who sins and the Father who demands uh, a perfect and, and whole love. Because if you notice, it says in that scripture, it says that Jesus, or it says that I am Jesus. Jesus was speaking to him directly. It wasn't, you know, thus saith the Lord. It was, why are you persecuting me? We see a change of, change of demeanor. But I wanted to bring that out because it's, it's important that we highlight uh, that particular deal. And here's why. Because I feel like sometimes, as Christians, we still operate in an Old Testament way of thinking. You know, I think because you know ISIS and all these people are doing all of these things, you know, that we should just you know kill them and and they're not worthy to be in heaven and they're not worthy to be with me. Uh, whenever I'm worshiping God, you know they're you know they're bad people, which I agree they're making horrible decisions. Okay, I'm not I'm not saying anything about that. But what I'm telling you is is that just because someone isn't who you think that they should be doesn't determine that God doesn't still have a plan for them and still doesn't long for their worship, okay? But we think, stone him, and Jesus says, I want to use him. You know, if you think about all the examples in in the Old Testament, you know, Uh, Paul could have got swallowed by a whale. He could have got washed in the sea. He could have got a million different things, you know, locusts sent to his house. I mean, he could have got a whole bunch of things that could have happened to him, but instead Jesus made him blind. Why do you suppose that is? I personally think he just needed to time out, you know? But sometimes you have to close your eyes and forget about what you're seeing on physical things to understand spiritual things. You know, he had to take a little bit of time. He had to take a time out to realize that this Jesus that he's persecuting really is real. You know, he was living, he probably thought he was doing a good thing. By a religious standard, you know, there was this all these people blaspheming the God that he serves. And he probably thought that he was doing the right thing by... By killing off all these Christians and, and bringing them back to be uh, convicted and judged and all this different stuff, you probably thought he was doing a good thing. But I think what you'll find is by the end of this, some of us, uh, Landon included, may need a timeout. My wife would probably agree with you. You know, sometimes we need to take a timeout. We've got to unlook at some of these uh, earthly things to figure out spiritual things. And I think it's interesting because sometimes it takes drastic things for us to, or for God to get our attention. And I don't like saying it that way because I I like to say it like this. Um, Sometimes drastic things happen in our life and as a result we finally turn back to the father that we should have been looking at all along. But you know, you think about a kid. You know, he's going in a swimming pool for the first time. You know, my sister's taking my uh, new nephew swimming for the first time. And, you know, he gets in the water and some kids, they just panic, right? They freak out. And what do they do? I guarantee you, if he does that, he's going to look at my sister and he's going to cling to her. And in the same way, we get in this life and we think we got everything going on on our own, but whenever something happens and we panic, we immediately turn and we grab onto the father and know that he's there. But the truth is is that we as Christians should be clinging to the Father and paying attention to Him at all times. To be this spotless bride that we're talking about. We're going to have to be a people that are hungry and a people who want to know God. Really, that's all it is. It's a decision. I'm either longing for Him or I'm not. I'm either serving Him or I'm not. But it's a complete choice. but sometimes it takes getting blinded so that we can actually see what's going on. And you might think that this is backwards, but I promise you that it's not. And at least myself, I know that a lot of times I'm, I got this tunnel vision, right? I got this vision of things that I want to accomplish, this things that I want to do, and very rarely do I look outside my tunnel vision to see what God wants to do. You know, and until, until we break down that tunnel vision, it's going to be hard to do. Now, the point that I want to make with Paul's story in this, or Saul, whichever one, or the same person, I want you to realize something today. And I want you to realize, because I, I feel like the church uh, feels this way, that you are not unqualified for the call that God has placed on your life. If we're talking about this man, he has done worse things than, than probably everyone in this room combined. But he was the one that God wanted to use. And so whatever you have going on in your life, whatever you've done, all this different stuff, forget it. Because it doesn't make you unqualified. Now, after Paul met Jesus, he didn't go around still continuing to kill Christians, did he? No, he, he repented which means that he turned from his old life and followed a new path. And until we start doing that, you know, it makes it pretty tough. You can't battle with your old life and walk in your new life. But no matter what your old life is, there's a God who came and sacrificed everything to give you grace so that you would have the opportunity to be able to worship and serve him, regardless of consequence. And uh, Pastor, Pastor Louis Giglio said this at the Stronger Men's Conference. And I think it's important that we understand this. Sin does not make you bad. Okay? Did I upset anybody yet? Sin does not make you a bad person. Sin makes you dead. Okay? The consequences of sin is death. Right? For the wages of sin is death. This sin in your life does not make you a bad person. It does not make you too bad to follow God. All it does is it makes you dead. But once you come and you accept Jesus Christ, you're now alive. So all you had to do, you didn't have to go through this process of making yourself a better person. All you had to do was turn from your sin and now you're alive. But we feel like we are bad people which makes us unqualified, uh, makes us un- undeserving to follow God. But what I'm trying to tell you and get across to you is that no matter what your circumstances, no matter what you've done, your sin does not make you a bad person. It just makes you dead. And all you have to do is turn from it, and bam, you're alive. It's easy. It's an easy decision, but we make it so complicated. Okay? Okay? So I want to, uh, to read a, a passage of Scripture to you because when we were talking about this on our Wednesday night class the other day, it's in Matthew 25. And by the end of the day, I'm actually going to read from you from uh, all four Gospels. So you're going to be excited, I bet. But we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven today. And I want to highlight that in uh, Matthew 25, verse 14, in the first four words, it addresses something, or five words. It says, that this is an illustration of the kingdom of God. This is is your picture, okay, of what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And really what it's referring to, it's referring to the judgment. And I think you're going to realize that there is a, God doesn't just tell us, or God doesn't not tell us what we're going to encounter whenever we do go to be before him. Because see, this Jesus that we're talking about, he is coming back. And whenever he does come back, and we get taken into into heaven, we're going to be judged on accordance of what we've done and what we haven't done. Okay, so here's your here's your scripture, and this is going to tell you everything you want to know about God's calling on your life. It's going to tell you everything you want to know about what's going to happen at the judgment seat. Okay, so in Matthew twenty five verse fourteen, it says again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man uh, going on a long trip. The man going on the long trip is Jesus. If you wanted a spoiler. He called together his servants and entrusted his money uh, to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who had received one bag of silver dug a hole uh, in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master returned uh, from the trip and called them uh, to give an account. Called them to give an account for that four. Of how they used his money. The servant to whom uh, he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward uh, with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in the handling of this small amount. So now I will give you uh, many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You heard that before? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Okay, it's checking. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you had given me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in the handling of this small amount, so I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's let's celebrate together. Then the servant, with the one bag of silver, uh, came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops uh, you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look here, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit the money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those uh, who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have uh, an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even with the little that they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant out in the darkness where there will, be niche, uh, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's everything you need to know. Right there. You want to know about calling? It's right there. You want to know about judgment? It's right up there. Because you see, the silver that's being talked about here is talents and abilities that we have been given. And this guy who went on a long trip like I already spoiled to you was Jesus. Okay? He gave us special abilities. We've talked about spiritual giftings. We've talked about a wide range of of things that God has given and entrusted to us. He's entrusted us with money. He's entrusted us uh, with these abilities and all this different stuff. And what we're going to be judged for whenever we go to be with the Father, we're going to be judged on accordance of what we've done with what we've been given. If you notice, the, the man who was given two bags of silver, whenever he got two more, He wasn't condemned because he didn't have the ten bags of silver that the other guy had. He was judged accordance to what he had been given. The fold was still the same. Right, John? The multiplication principle was the same. He doubled what he had. And so what I'm telling you is is that God has entrusted you with things. God has called you to do things. And until uh, you come into consideration of these things that he has called and placed before you, placed in your heart, we're going to be like the servant who buried the coins in the ground. And whenever we go to be with the Father, we say, hey, this is all I've done. Because what's being talked about here is, is souls one to the kingdom. God sent us after people. That uh, verse of scripture, if you look in your little book there, it says, uh, you know, Ocean's mission statement, right there. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Our mission statement's go, save, disciple, and send. That's what we're called to do. And we're called to use our abilities to perform uh, and to do the things God has called us to do. Like, for instance, if you look in the back of your book, there's about five billion different ministries that we do here at the church to give you an idea of what's going on. And if you think there's something you want to be involved in, there's your list to pick from. What I'm telling you is is that we've all been given different giftings. We've all been given different abilities. And whenever we go to be before God, we're gonna be judged according to what we've done with what we've been given. Does that make sense? Are you with me? You guys got quiet when I started talking about judgment. Better start talking again. But we're going to be rewarded if we've given him a return on what we've, we've uh, been given. And my guess is, is that that third man that we're talking about, he probably felt Unqualified. You know, he was worried about what he was going to do with the money. He didn't want to invest it because he was worried about, well, what if he lost it? Well, what if they make fun of me for using this gifting? Well, what if I'm uncomfortable uh, for stepping out in faith and leading someone to Jesus outside of church? You know, what if I talk about Jesus outside of church? They might persecute me. Or do I really know everything that I need to know to lead somebody to Jesus? You know, he felt unqualified, so he hid what he had. And what I want to come out of this this Rise Up study is not so much a figurative, you know, rise up, but it's an uncovering of who you really are. And until you dig into the study and you dig into the Word, it's going to be really hard for you to do. Because a lot of people, there's people who have lived their entire life, worked an 8-to-5 job, and got to the end and said that they were absolutely miserable doing it, and they're glad that they're retired. You know? They never found their purpose. And I'm telling you that if you're alive here today, you have purpose. God has, is going to use you for something, or has something that he wants to use you to do. But until you tap into it, you're going to be just like the servant who buried it in the ground. Don't hide your abilities, Okay? I'm kind of skipping through here because I have about five billion things to say on this uh, subject and we're kind of running out of time. Okay, let's just do this real fast. The second perspective that I wanted to give you in Acts was the perspective of Ananias because I feel like we get this way sometimes too. If you think about his perspective, the Lord appears to him and the Lord's asking him to use his gifting to go heal Saul are to go, you know. Be there and and to uh, allow him to be able to see again. And the first thing that he says is, "But." How many times, has the Lord came to Landon and said, "Landon, I need you to do this," and first thing I say is, "But I want to do this," or "But I want," or "I don't want to do that." Because if you think about this, at least at least Ananias was thinking about you know, this guy, he could kill me if I go and try to do this. But still, God gave him the faith to be able to go before him and heal him and baptize him with the Holy Spirit. And you know, he probably felt a little bit trapped into it because if you notice in that passage of Scripture, it says that the Lord told Paul that a man named Ananias was going to come and heal him. And I don't hear the name Ananias very much, but it's, I've seen it two times in Acts, so there's only two people in all this land uh, that have the name Ananias, and the last one died two chapters earlier, and so he's the only one that's left. But sometimes we feel that way. You know, sometimes we have to look around and say, the person who needs to do this is me. There's uh, this theory in psychology that, you know, if we were all in this room and the fire started on the stage... Who calls 911? A lot of times, we think that someone else is going to call 911, so we don't do it ourselves. And uh, we got to get in the mentality that we are called, and that we are qualified, and that we can't continue uh, to hide our giftings in the ground anymore, but now we're going to rise up and be the people that God called us to be, all right? There was one word that I think lit a fire in Ananias. God told him to go. It was as simple as that. God said, go, and he went. Now what we're talking about in Mark sixteen fifteen, God told us to go and to proclaim and to preach the gospel to all nations, regardless of race, regardless of the stuff they've done wrong, regardless of their religion, regardless of anything, to go and tell them who I am. And I want to ask this question. Whenever you came into church this morning, did you get what you wanted out of God, or did he get what he wanted out of you? Because a lot of times we come into his presence, we approach him, but we always have a motive behind what we're doing. We always want some kind of healing. We always want something from him. But are we, is is God getting what he wants out of us or are we just trying to get what we want out of him? That's a completely different perspective. God has enabled every single one of you, regardless of all the things you've done wrong in your life, to empower you to go. And now it's only a choice. If you're going to go, then go. If you're not, then walk away. Because it's not going to do you any good playing in between the fence. I saw an article the other day that said you can't sit on a barbed wire fence. You can't. You got to choose. You got to choose. And uh, I'm going to, Christina, if you want to go ahead and uh, start hitting that piano, I'm going to read something to you. I can't get this off my mind. There's a song that came out, and I've played it in our Wednesday night class. It's called Reckless Love by Corey Asbury. And I cannot get this off my mind, okay? And I want to read you a passage of scripture because a lot of people would say, you know, God doesn't have a reckless love. God isn't reckless. Of course he's not. He knows exactly what he's doing. But the way that he loves is very much in a reckless way. And let me put it in perspective to you. In Luke chapter 15, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave his 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives... Uh, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and turns to God than 99 others who are righteous and have it straight away. You know, God's not reckless, but this way that He came for us, that He was willing to leave everything in pursuit of you, it's unpractical a shepherd tending to a hundred sheep and he loses one in the wilderness, what if he loses the 99 whenever he goes and looks for the one? You know, we live in a practical way of thinking, but the way that God thinks and the way that he loves is not the practical love that we have. And it's time that we as a church start having that reckless love for other people because God gave it to us first. All right? So there's a lot of ways that you can leave here today. But I'm telling you, until you tap into the calling that God has for your life and you start walking in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, you're going to continue to do the same things and try to get what you want out of God. But it's time that a church rose up and said, God, what can I give myself to you? How can I give myself to you?